mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Hancock County is receiving national praise for its efforts to reduce addiction and overdose deaths. The numbers are dramatic, so what about our approach is unique, and what makes it effective? Also this morning, America is a nation of immigrants, but that doesn't mean we've really ever been particularly good at it. We'll talk about how and why politics gets in the way of policy. And don't let the colder weather keep you from your active and healthy lifestyle. We have details on upcoming programs and activities at the Findlay YMCA. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. It's rather mild this morning. We have uh, had... Should be a really nice election day today, uh, weather-wise. No, you can't can't use that excuse. No excuse to not get out and make your voice heard today um, because of the weather. We've had, uh, so far, a kind of an up-and-down sort of start to the uh, cold-weather season. We've certainly had some chilly, frosty days, but then we've had mild... Days And I keep hearing different predictions as to what will happen, but what does the woolly worm say? You know the old wives' tale that the woolly worm, or some people call it the woolly bear caterpillar, can predict whether or not we will have a mild or harsh winter. But based on, and I had, I had somebody, a friend of mine posted this, uh, this guide to the woolly worm, on Facebook the other day, had uh, diagrams and everything, uh, what different colorations on the woolly worm mean for the upcoming winter. But uh, is it true? Is there any scientific evidence that the woolly worm is some sort of sage prognosticator of the uh, winter season? Well, according to folklore, the amount of black on the woolly worm in autumn uh, varies equally with the severity of the coming winter. Um, if the woolly worm is mostly black, it'll be a very harsh and severe winter. If the woolly worm has an orange stripe, it means that the weather will be mild. The wider the reddish-orange band is, the more mild the upcoming winter will be. However, the National Weather Service says this is merely a myth and that the caterpillar cannot predict what winter weather Will bring. There is no correlation between the coloration on the woolly worm and the severity of the upcoming winter season. According to the agency, the coloring of the caterpillar has to do with its age, its species, and what it has been feeding on. So, if uh, you were wondering, what does it mean then? Because they're all different. Um, those are the factors it's sort of like the groundhog in february doesn't really mean anything but it doesn't prevent us from having some fun with it so you go the uh, science it's science and by the way speaking of uh, wild science i saw this story on the uh, newswire and really caught my eye uh this is some some amazing science about the uh, animal kingdom apparently we humans are not the only creatures on earth with imaginations. Apparently, a new study suggests that rats have rather vivid imaginations as well. 
Scientific American published this study in a series of remarkable experiments. Researchers at the Howard Hughes Medical Institute in Virginia concluded that rats are capable of visualizing objects and places that are not actually in front of them, which is something that humans will sometimes do. Using their thoughts to imagine walking to a location or moving a remote object to a specific spot. Some of the ways that rats use their imaginations, according to the researchers. The study has implications that go beyond rodents, with applications for humans on everything from the design of prosthetic devices that use brain-computer interfaces to a better understanding of the phenomenon of amnesia, according to the report. So, rats imagine things the way we do. Speaking of imagining things, you know, the uh, COVID pandemic is well in our rearview mirror now, but there are still some of the effects that are being felt in some people's imaginations uh apparently some prospective parents are still looking for unvaxed pure unvaxed um, goods the facebook group sperm donation usa has seen a huge increase in wannabe parents looking for donors who have not had the jab Apparently, people are specifying no COVID vax on their posts when seeking sperm donors. And uh, some men who are on this Facebook group identify themselves with terms like not uh, sperm not modified by mRNA. <laughs> the CDC, by the way, has found no evidence that any COVID-19 vaccines impact fertility in any way. But then, who are you going to believe? <laughs> the, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention or Facebook? I mean, honestly, let's be honest. Who are you going to really believe? <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Some people taking this to an extreme. Um... Uh, speaking of things that we should be afraid of, it's not the COVID vaccine in those little swimmers that we should be worried about. This is apparently what we should really be worried about today. You know that every, every day we have to have a story about something that we really need to worry about, something that's dangerous and going to be the downfall of mankind. Here is today's story. This is what we should be fearful of today. The next time you exercise, you're probably, when you're, when you're thinking about exercising, you're probably thinking about, you know, what tracks you put on your iPod or your phone to, you know, queue up and your soundtrack to your exercise. Uh, you're probably not giving much thought to the clothes that you work out in, but perhaps you should. Apparently, your favorite workout clothing is likely to be made from synthetic fabrics like spandex, nylon, and polyester, 
all of which are essentially plastics. And herein lies the trouble. These materials are made from petrochemicals and are often formulated with harmful chemical additives, according to the experts. They give some examples, but they have scientific names that I can't pronounce, and I'm not even going to try this early in the morning. But suffice to say that these uh, plastic materials, uh, they're these uh, materials derived from plastics, are formulated with harmful chemical additives. And now new research shows that sweat leaches the chemical additives from the plastics, from the material, and then these chemicals are then absorbed through our skin. So this is the uh, latest thing that's going to kill us, apparently. These uh, chemicals from our workout clothes, once we uh, sweat, that triggers the absorption of these hazardous chemicals into our skin. You know how I read that? Uh, exercise is going to kill you. That's, that's, <laughs> that's how I read that. Too much exercise is going to kill you. <laughs> that's how I read that. Just saying. And how about this? Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, this is, we're coming up on the holiday season, right? Before you know it. It is the season of gift giving and holiday cheer, family gatherings, all of that. What's the other thing that this is This is the big time of the year for? Charitable giving. We become very charitable this time of year in particular. But according to uh, new data from WalletHub, we in Ohio are pretty doggone charitable all the time. Uh, they have released their list of the most charitable states in America. Overall, number one on the list is Utah. Um, Wyoming and Minnesota came in second and third. So Utah, Wyoming, Minnesota, the top three charitable states. By contrast, the least giving states, uh, Arizona, dead last, with New Mexico and Mississippi not far behind. Um, Ohio is the 10th most charitable state. So overall, we're doing pretty good. We are right there in the top 10 at number 10. Ohio, the 10th most charitable state in the union. Now, WalletHub does point out that some people may be exaggerating just how generous they are. They compared those who self-reported donating with the percentage of taxpayers who actually reported donating to charity on their tax forms and found a nearly 64% difference in the state of New Hampshire. That is the biggest disparity. Uh, And I don't know where Ohio ranks on that particular part of the list. But overall, while Utah, Wyoming, and Minnesota are the top charitable states, Ohio is number 10. So not too shabby. But always room for improvement. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny today with a high in the upper 50s. Partly cloudy tonight, uh, low in the mid 40s. 
Today is election day, and while you must have a valid photo ID for this election, the Secretary of State says there is some leeway at the polls. Yes, you do need a photo ID for your vote to count, but even without one, you'll be able to go through the process, according to Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Even if you show up on Election Day without one, even then you're not left out of the process. You're given what's called a provisional ballot, goes in a separate envelope. It's not counted on election night, but it will be counted as part of the final official tally three weeks later, as long as you come in and prove your identity in the few days after the election. You can get a free photo ID at a license bureau. Dave James, in News. A recent poll from Baldwin-Wallace University asked Ohio voters about State Issue 1, which would enshrine abortion rights in the Ohio Constitution. Researchers say 58% of likely voters favor the proposed amendment. 33% are against it. Around 8% at the time were undecided. It found Issue 1 is favored by 89% of Democrats, 39% of Republicans, and 51% of Independents. I'm Colin Dorsey. In addition to those two big state issues on the ballot, there are also local races for mayor, city council, and other offices on the ballot today. Polls will be open until 7.30 tonight. Flag City Honor Flight's final flight of the season to Washington, D.C. is happening today. President and Flight Director Steve Schultz says this is their fourth flight of the season. Which is more than we've ever done. The main reason is we have 550 applications of veterans who are waiting to go on a flight to Washington, D.C. to see their memorials. And today, around 90 veterans will be flown to Washington, D.C., all expenses paid to see the memorials built in their honor. Learn more about Flag City Honor Flight in the story on our website. The Finley Police Department has a new police officer. Officer Bradley Fuller was sworn in by the mayor on Monday morning. The 36-year-old Fuller is a graduate of New Regal High School and attended the police academy program at Owens Community College. He previously served with the Cary Police Department and most recently the Upper Sandusky Police Department. See a picture of the new officer in the story on our website. Don't forget you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now our cover story this morning, Hancock County receiving some national praise, national recognition for its efforts to reduce addiction and overdose deaths. Uh, Joining us this morning is Precious Doobie uh, from the Hancock County Adamus uh, Alcohol, Drug Abuse, Mental Health Services uh, Board. This is a... Uh, Associated Press story that came out, uh, what, I guess, late last week with the headline, As Billions Roll In to Fight the U.S. Opioid Epidemic, One County Shows How Recovery Can Work. And uh, I know you were uh, quoted extensively uh, in the article and a number of uh, local individuals in recovery uh, were profiled uh, in this. And the numbers are quite dramatic here from the uh, from the piece, and I'm assuming these are accurate. 131 overdose deaths in Hancock County between 1999 and 2020, 28 last year, and so far this year, three confirmed and five suspected. So even if all of the all of those suspected turn out to be confirmed, you're talking about going from 28 to eight mm-hmm. in a year's time. Those are pretty dramatic numbers. They are, and they're also very fragile um, because, you know, it, it can take like one bad batch to change your your numbers mm-hmm. dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, I mean, I think the things that we're trying to do in this community are, are having a positive impact. Well, and that really, I, I would imagine if I ask the question, uh, what about our approach is unique, what makes it effective, I'm guessing the answer is going to be all the different parts working together. 
Exactly. And I think that that's why the Associated Press contacted us. Mm-hmm. Um, they see the, the settlement money coming into all different parts of the country mm-hmm. as, a result, as a result of the settlement of the pharmaceutical um, lawsuits. And what they were trying to do is highlight what, what's working yeah. so that as those monies come into the states, they invest in things that work in the in the right things and uh not all communities are seeing this kind of dramatic decrease uh so with that in mind and again granted that it's everything working together but at the same time some of the things many of the things that we are doing they are doing in other communities and yet not seeing the same rate of success so what is uh, what is the key? I don't want to say the magic bullet, but is there is there something you can look at and say this is the kind of the glue that ties it all together? Well, it might be two things. Uh, one would be glue um, in that the the communication between and amongst all of those different programs exist in our community. Mm-hmm. The concept of warm handoffs, the concept of wherever someone interacts with anyone in the system it's an opportunity for recovery so you might not be the right place for them but you're taking the responsibility and getting to the next right you know the Mm -hmm. next right place to try and give them help Um, the other thing that i would say that's part of the glue is the peer support Um, there's no question that if you talk to individuals in recovery and you ask them what the most helpful thing was by and large the answer will be peer support um, and we've had an extensive investment uh, in peer support in our community. And um, I think right now we're up to about 30 peer support positions in our community. What makes that so effective? The ability to relate because of having walked in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it really, they have a credibility that others others can't get because we haven't been there. Mm-hmm. Um now, it's interesting that in getting to the place that we are now, uh, there have been bumps along the road. Uh, mm-hmm. There has been pushback uh, in, in certain aspects of this from uh, some members of the community. Um, there have been things that uh, you have wanted to do that, uh, you know, maybe um, – I, I know in the in the uh, in the Associated Press piece in the AP piece you talked about uh, you know you've learned ways to better communicate and to better work alongside of law enforcement for for example. What has been the uh, the 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 way uh, both sides have I don't want to say grown but but um, come around and and. Uh, learn to help each other uh, in in attacking yeah. this. I I think what our our mainstay is we always try and follow the science, and so you know, like there are many systems that have a role to play mm-hmm. in the epidemic, and I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. Yeah, but our responsibility is to share with them the science related to what they have to offer. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of looked at what what's out there that would be helpful who's responsible or who could take the lead in that and then try and look where we can get the energy and the financial resources to make it happen Mm -hmm. so 
you know, some of the things that the community is not quite ready for, we'll just wait until they are. We yeah. just keep sharing. Or, you know, there's some things that you feel strongly enough about that you just need to advance. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm thinking examples uh, of what I'm talking about. I remember uh, speaking with uh, Sheriff Heldman here on the uh, program and, and how it was uh, – kind of retraining his brain in mm-hmm. in looking at addiction as a disease rather than a criminal activity and some of the uh things that they are are doing that were counter to you know his immediate thought process uh I know for you when we were talking years ago about recovery uh houses mm-hmm. Uh, going up, that there was quite a bit of pushback. And and again, you talk in the AP piece about learning to communicate this better and, and mm-hmm. working with uh, the community and law enforcement and, and all of that. So this has been a process that I, I would think for all involved, um, there's some measure of validation in, in these numbers, isn't there? Oh, um, absolutely. It, it's, it's a compliment to everyone who has... Um, steadfastly move forward um, and move forward sometimes in the face of opposition. Um, again, you know, it's like I, I can just imagine the same kind of things that happened radically in other parts of uh, disease. So can you imagine what it was like with cancer when somebody said, well, we're going to put poison in you mm-hmm. and yeah. it's going to help. Right. And people be like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> and yet, yeah. you know, look at how far the treatment have, of cancer has come mm-hmm. and the lives that have been saved yeah. because people were willing to follow the science and move it forward. As you mentioned, though, this is all kind of delicate, uh, <laughs> these uh, numbers. And, and I, again, it kind of speaks to when I look at these numbers and I want to say, is this an anomaly that we've had this uh, dramatic drop-off last year to this year? There are other things that, that play into that, and you talk about how this is, is delicate. Um, I guess that's where you kind of hold your breath. Um, always. Uh, I think that, that there is, you know, like making the availability of naloxone and other harm reduction. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no question that our overdose rate has not been spiking a lot you know it's like we we've you know we've had some hills and valleys but not huge spikes Mm -hmm. because of everything that we have been able to put in place the other thing that wasn't really mentioned in the article that i think is really important is when people get into treatment in our community they they stay um, and so we really have a, a high success rate of keeping people engaged. Um, and by making so many different treatment services available, you know, people that want to seek help that are engaged in care, they get, they get help. And again, uh, through the peer support, the no wrong doors uh, philosophy and, and so on that you were mentioning earlier, how much of this uh, is also um, a bit precarious in that you always want to try and stay one step ahead of whatever is out there on the street. I mean, we talk yeah. about, you know, internet security and, and the good guys staying one step ahead of the hackers. It's kind of the same thing here. You know, it was heroin and then it was uh, uh, fentanyl and now carfentanyl, uh, uh, this new synthetic opioid where uh, ODs are are on the rise nationwide. So there, it always seems like it's a 
cat and mouse game. It is, and I, I, I would love to say that we're one step ahead, but I don't think that that's the case. I, I think that we're, we're often reacting to a specific substance. Where I think we are one step ahead is really trying to have people understand heritability, what it, what it does to your brain, the importance of delaying the onset of use, you know, like, mm-hmm. so that there's some things that cut across no matter what the substance is. Yeah. So with that in mind, for all of the good things that we're doing and the success we're seeing, what's the next thing? What is the the next, what is the the thing that we need to be doing more of moving forward? Wow, that's a wonderful question. Um, I think that from the chair we sit in, um, we look at capacity because of the workforce. So it's not it's not so much broadening the scope of what we have mm-hmm. available, but um, increasing the depth, and then consistently and constantly working on increased quality. A long way to go, but a lot of progress has been made uh, since we first started talking about mm-hmm. this uh, how many years ago. So, uh, again, some validation and some good news to see that the, that there is progress being made. Again, Precious Doobie with uh, Alcohol, Drug Abuse, and Mental Health Services of Hancock County with us this morning. We have a link up for more information on our webpage. Precious, thanks very much, as always, for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Well, America, as we all know, is a nation of immigrants. For some, it's been recently. For others, it was generations ago. But we've all come here from somewhere else. And yet, immigration today is, in the minds of some, a dirty word. Dr. Joachim Ryman is author of a book series on the topic, which he, he feels a strong connection with, not just as a psychologist, but as an immigrant himself. And Joe... This has become such a politically charged issue. How do the politics complicate the subject of immigration in general and the way we are able to discuss it on human terms, which is what you try to do in the book? Well, I think uh, right now the political situation is so polarized, as I think most of us know, that it tends to get in the way of some kind of nuanced discourse. We often hear the, the, the idea that somehow we have to decide between walls, which having been brought up in Berlin is not a pleasant thought mm-hmm. on one end and so-called open borders on the other end, which is not really accurate. That's the way it's portrayed. But, the, you know, I think nobody in the middle is kind of talking about open borders. In fact, I believe that the only actual open borders in on the globe are those that have to do with uh, people who are EU citizens who can travel, let's say, from Germany to France without too yeah. much trouble. Yeah. So, you know, so the, as usual, sometimes people want simple answers to complicated uh, situations, and that just doesn't work. We have to have a nuanced, fact-based approach to this topic so we can figure out how to handle it in the most effective way. We mention that all of us are or have been immigrants at some point in our family history. Has America really ever been good at, particularly good at it, though? Well, I think that there have been times when we've brought in people 
for our own purposes. And so they've been accepted in kind of a different way than they might be in some quarters at present. I mean, there's a reason we have the Statue of Liberty, right? Mm -hmm. So has it ever been completely, you know, trouble-free? Probably not. Uh, But uh, has there been a, a climate at various points in history when we've done a little bit better with that? Uh, I, I wasn't around then, but I suspect that's the case. Yeah. What does, uh, in, in the 21st century, what does successful integration for immigrants look like? People who are immigrants come from a variety of backgrounds. And some are essentially imported because of their professional skills and their accomplishments. But I think the majority uh, or a great number at any case are coming in because of problems back home that put them at risk. So when people come in, uh, they face a number of challenges that they they need to uh, overcome. And those include, for example, how do you approach acculturation in terms of learning language customs? Mm-hmm. Uh, and But the reality is also that being able to learn kind of the, the local language and, and how things are done in your new country doesn't mean that you somehow lose your core identity. Uh, you know, I tell people in some ways I'm still... German in every part of the world except for Germany itself, which is a bit ironic. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, a lot of people come in with, uh, with, especially refugees come in with trauma experiences, both what they experienced at home and what they have, uh, experienced on the road to their new country. And that impacts both mental and physical health at the same time. It's also worth noting that many have uh, admirable resilience uh, that they use in order to overcome those uh, obstacles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another issue is economic and occupational transitions. So if you come in, uh, our, for example, if, if you're at a, one socioeconomic level at your country of origin, is that going to just transfer over? If you were, for example, a professional physician, attorney, and so on, does that transfer over? COVID-19 uh, actually taught us that in a very difficult and desperate situations, you, you kind of uh, suspend some of the rules and foreign educated doctors were able to practice, for example, in New York and certainly in uh, Europe mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the UK. And I would argue, even though I don't have official numbers of that, I would argue probably saved quite a few lives. Yeah. So, uh, so we need to look at that a little bit more closely in order to make those transitions were warranted in a more effective way. And certainly there's a social environment in your new country that involves politics, that involves religion, that involves Mm -hmm. any number of factors that we encounter. Mm -hmm. But bottom line is that that, uh, people can and do uh, get through these challenges. And uh, like I said, many 
immigrants have an amazing amount of resilience well, that allow them to do that. That that was one of the the key things uh, for me. One of the key takeaways here, uh, and I guess I, I've not really thought about it, and I think will be an eye opener for a lot of other people uh, as well. Is that resilience that immigrants have in order to persevere through the uh, transition of uprooting everything that they have known and coming to a new country, which they are probably not very familiar with, uh, a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of headwinds, certainly. That's just an, an amazing story uh, attesting to the human spirit. Yeah, there's something that in the academic literature is referred to as the immigrant paradox. And it's called a paradox because one would think that uh, after being all the stuff, through all the stuff that you just talked about, that uh, they would somehow be in dire straits. But in fact, in terms of, for example, health and other arenas, they're actually, in some cases, doing better than the local population. Yeah. So that's why it's considered a paradox. So mm-hmm. you have all these things go- supposedly going against you, but you're actually doing pretty good on some dimensions. And that's a pretty well-known phenomenon. That being said, and again, what you were talking about earlier, there are always things that we can do as Americans and former immigrants ourselves, again, maybe recently, maybe generations ago, uh, the things that we can do to uh, make that transition easier to welcome and help immigrants. Again, I'm not always I'm not sure that we've always uh, been very good at that or ever been very, very good at that. Um, and part of that is complicated by the fact that there are so many different backgrounds and so many different nationalities and so many different reasons that people will come here. But what is the key for us to help those who are wanting to immigrate and assimilate? So one of the first things is to recognize, and this, you know, the research I did in the book, uh, again, highlighted that, is that if we do it well and we assist immigrants, but in even, you know, the particularly the refugee population and so on, mm-hmm. uh, and it takes a certain amount of, you know, social investment up front, that the stats show that ultimately everybody benefits from that because uh, immigrants do contribute over the long run significantly to the, let's say, the economic engine of their adopted country. Yeah. So uh, even though it's true that with current migrations on the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, that can be overwhelming, uh, on average, when you talk about long-term trends in immigration across the globe, you do learn that that there are uh, benefits, that it's not just a benefit to the immigrant, and we're not just being nice, it's the benefit to society as a whole. Uh, then the question is, how are you effectively doing that? Uh, one example in San Diego, for example, and I think this got a little bit sidetracked by COVID, uh, but uh, there was an uh, effort called Welcoming San Diego, which was a way to uh, get government, local government, uh, industry, community-based organizations 
uh, together on the same page and try to facilitate uh, a smoother transition for immigrants by hooking in all of the elements in an organized sort of way that would allow them to be successful. So I think it, it, it takes kind of a effort, not by one organization, but a coordinated mm-hmm. effort by various aspects of including government, private sector, and nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. that can be helpful in that process. Right on down to the neighborhood level. And again, just kind of underscores what you were saying earlier, that there are no easy answers. This is a complicated question, and the solutions are complicated as well, much more complicated than what the uh, soundbite news headlines uh, allow us to consider. But when we uh, really do a deep dive in here, we see uh, all of the implications. Again, the books are Immigrant Concepts, Immigrant Psychology, and the latest in the series, which is coming soon, Immigrant Health, A Key to Integration. Dr. Joachim Ryman is the uh, author, and you have a website where folks can learn more about the books and about your uh, research into this, right? Yes. uh, Our website is immigrantscreening.com. Let's call it the parent organization uh, of Romo Books is the Group for Immigrant Resettlement and Assessment, and we we do a lot of things along those lines. We also still have a clinical practice. When I say we, I'm talking primarily uh, about my wife and I, my wife also being an immigrant uh, and a PhD and a licensed psychology and having the same experience in public health research, university-based that I do. Joe, thanks very much for taking the time and uh, shedding some uh, insight on this, giving folks a, a lot to think about. We appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, me on. Very nice of you. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. It has been a while since we've had an unusual vehicle theft in the broken news. But thankfully, one thing that we can always count on is that uh, criminals will, uh, at some point, give us uh, something to smile about. A Phoenix man is in trouble with the law, accused of stealing an ambulance. (laughs) Problem is, (laughs) he stole an ambulance with not only a patient inside, but uh, court documents say that the ambulance also had four firefighters inside. (laughs) Uh, Jason Tyler Smith swiped the ambulance on Sunday afternoon, apparently unaware that there was not only a patient, but also four firefighters inside the ambulance um, when it was parked in downtown Phoenix. Uh, how surprised he must have been when the uh, firefighters fought back and shoved him out of the vehicle after he drove off just a few hundred feet. <laughs> shoved him out of the vehicle. <laughs> uh, he was then promptly arrested a few minutes later by police. He faces charges including theft and kidnapping. Uh, this is not the first time Uh, He has been in trouble with the law. He uh, served a a previous prison stint for armed robbery about 10 years ago. (laughs) Uh, And uh, hasn't gotten any better at it, apparently. Uh, Next item. (laughs) This, if you have not seen this, apparently there's video 
that is uh, going viral on social media. A Texas Southern University uh, student, uh, he's a tuba player in the marching band at Texas Southern University, who punched a heckler during Saturday's football game while he was playing and never missed a beat. (laughs) Video footage shows the band drama unfolding during the game against Jackson State. A Jackson State fan can be spotted yelling at the tuba player who is attempting to carry on, just doing what tuba players do. The uh, student, the band member, finally seems to have had enough, punches the heckler not once, not twice, but four times while continuing to play along the music. (laughs) That is all kinds of awesome right there. You put that heckler in his place. Uh, I have not seen the video. I'm going to have to go check that out. Uh, Speaking of video, apparently there's video of this. Uh, In Florida, a hungry bear being blamed for ruining a family's dinner. In Longwood, Florida, uh, Lady Gutierrez and Daniel Bula ordered dinner through Uber Eats from Taco Bell. Uh, The doorbell camera shows the Uber Eats driver dropping off the food. They just drop it there at the doorstep and then and then take off. And no sooner does the driver drop off the food, but a black bear wanders onto the porch and takes it. (laughs) Couple says they the bear even took the soda that they had not just the food, but the drinks that they had ordered as well. Well, it is that time. The bears are fattening up ahead of their uh, winter slumber. Um, <laughs> Uber Eats, uh, it says, did issue the family a refund. It's, uh, apparently, the bear is just waiting as if the bear knew that there was food that was going to be delivered. If, I don't know if he was eavesdropping and knew that food was on the way. He was right there waiting for it. Um... <laughs> This this is a great story out of Indianapolis. The uh, Metropolitan Police Department uh, placed a 34-year-old woman under arrest uh, on a charge of terrorism for criminal recklessness after she allegedly crashed her car into a building that she thought was a Jewish school. (laughs) Um, and, And that's not... That's not funny in and of itself, except that the building that she crashed her car into actually housed the Israelite School of Universal and Practical Knowledge, which, according to the Anti-Defamation League, is considered to be an anti-Semitic hate group. (laughs) So, while she was trying to crash her her car into a Jewish school, she instead crashed it into the uh, building that housed an anti-Semitic Hate group. (laughs) That's like killing two birds with one stone, isn't it? According to local news reports, cops responded on Friday at 11.30 p.m. to address a a possible hate crime in which Ruba Almageth, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, ran into the building while multiple adults and children were inside. She admitted to investigators that she targeted the Israeli school because of its Hebrew-Israelite symbol and for her people back in Palestine. Uh, But unfortunately, (laughs) it turns out the building housed an 
an anti-Semitic hate group instead. She made a mistake. The Jewish Foundation of Greater Indianapolis called it a, quote, ironic misidentification. (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. Nonetheless, she still faces charges, criminal recklessness, and possibly uh, terrorism for the intent. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is a a follow-up. I seem to recall several years ago, actually, reporting on this story in the broken news. And now four men are facing charges related to the theft of an 18-carat gold toilet from uh, Blenheim Palace, uh, the historic English countryside estate of Winston Churchill. 18-carat gold toilet was swiped and this is i mean this is serious stuff the uh, golden commode is valued at a staggering 5.9 million dollars it actually was a work of art created by an italian conceptual artist intended as a satirical commentary on wealth golden toilet uh it was part of an art installation at the palace until it mysteriously disappeared in September of 2019. You remember this story, right? The golden toilet disappeared. Uh, Apparently, uh, criminal charges have been filed against four men between the ages of 35 and 39 believed to be responsible for the theft, Uh, although seven individuals were initially arrested in connection with the heist. Charges uh, have only now been filed against the four the fully functional toilet was uh once open to visitors for a unique art experience however its removal led to severe damage and flooding um at the at the palace the precious artwork often described as cast in 18 karat gold has yet to be recovered so they they don't have the toilet the toilet is not back but they do have the people who are responsible for the crime thank goodness um Apparently, this was once on display at the Guggenheim Museum in New York City as well. Um, The investigation is ongoing, but at this point, police remain doubtful that they will ever be able to retrieve the toilet. Uh, They suggest that it might have been, at some point, discreetly disposed of. A sad ending in that respect, but at least the individuals behind the crime will be held accountable. There you go. That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, I'm Jerry Stewart. Join me here on this station for my special Veterans Day program, Silent Heroes. It's a true story told by four World War II veterans of their fight at the Battle of the Bulge, their capture by the Nazi army, and their desperate time in a German prison camp. It's a special Veterans Day program, Silent Heroes, airing here on Veterans Day morning at 11 a.m. on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Please join me. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. The holiday season is right around the corner now. And uh, by and large, Americans are going to be very busy uh, this holiday season, attending gatherings and so on. The average American, according to a new survey of 2,000 U.S. adults, the average American will attend five holiday gatherings at five different houses this year. 
<laughs> it's one thing to have all of these gatherings, uh, but it's uh, another thing entirely to have to go, to, you know, travel to attend all of them. It's a lot of running around during the holiday season. 84% of Americans are excited about the holiday season, even if they don't celebrate uh, the uh, common winter holidays. Not everybody does. 43% of respondents are most excited about Thanksgiving. 33% say they are excited for Friendsgiving, which has been a uh, something that has really grown in popularity in recent years, uh, getting together with friends who are not necessarily family for a Thanksgiving uh, event. The average respondent to the survey said that they would need just over two and a half hours to get ready for a party that they were hosting. And that seems like a, a dramatic underestimation. Two and a half hours to get ready for a party that you are hosting the holidays. Always seems like it takes much longer than that. 25% of Americans are not looking forward to washing the dishes or cleaning up after the holiday meals. That is the thing that we are least excited about <laughs> the upcoming holidays. Five Holiday gatherings at five different houses this year on average. How does that compare to your plans? I know in our family, we're already starting to block out our strategy of how we're going to get all of these gatherings done for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and so on. Talk about what's going on in the community, what's happening. We have uh, details on uh, things happening at the Findlay YMCA. Stephanie Parsons is with us once again with Carrie Redman as well. Uh, Stephanie, a lot of things going on at the uh, YMCA. I mean, we were just talking, uh, it seems like, just the other day about uh, you know big plans for the future, obviously. But things roll on yes. in the present. Yes. And uh, you've been very busy rolling out uh, some new uh, uh, efforts and new initiatives, mm-hmm. uh, including uh, things that are going on beyond just the campus. Yeah, yeah. So exciting stuff happening Um Lots of details around our upcoming capital campaign. Um, lots of details that we're putting out on Facebook and around the community. And so, I'm guessing you're getting an awful lot of questions, fielding a lot of questions on those. Things. We are, but lots of support. Um, love the support in just wrapping their arms around the communities, wrapping around this project. And mm-hmm. so, um, what we what we're trying to do is just put as much as we can through our Facebook mm-hmm. um, and lots of links going out of what what's of what's occurring. So yeah. right now you're going to see some fencing around the campus. Um, getting ready to tear down some structures. Yeah, and I know from our conversation previously, a big part of the expansion plans that have been announced and so on have to do with the uh, child care and child development uh, center and and uh, making that uh, integrating that more uh, with the uh, facility. But like we said, you've got a big initiative uh, yeah. that you're going to be rolling out that is separate from the uh, yep. campus uh, there downtown. Yeah. as well yeah so we know that there's a huge community need for early learning or child development centers um and so we have uh, carrie redmond joining us for a huge initiative that she's going to be launching soon 
Um, so I kind of yeah, we were talking about this. Uh, I think uh, folks may remember a month or two ago, uh, rolling out a project at Corey Rawson. Yes, it's so. opening November twenty seventh. Okay, so we've got a date. We have a date. Yeah. It's official. Yeah, we went through our licensing inspection. It was wonderful. We should have our license in hand very soon. We're very confident that we're ready to start on the twenty seventh. So. so, what does that look like? I mean, what will that uh, bring to that? Uh, community. Right. So we all know we need childcare. We all know we need high quality childcare. And Corey Rawson reached out to the Y and we have a really amazing partnership with Corey Rawson. The superintendent is amazing. Their facilities director, there's high school teachers who pop in. They're just an amazing group of people. And they um, now have a childcare center. We call it the early learning center at Corey Rawson by YMCA mm-hmm. um, in their building. So, so what is the, uh, you know, Again, obviously, you can't make this happen just on your own. Uh, as you mentioned, you got a lot of support from the uh, folks at the schools uh, there at Corey Rawson. So explain exactly how this is going to work. Right. So it's a child development center. It's an early learning center. That's mm-hmm. our name, the early learning center at right. Corey Rawson. Um, anyone can bring their kids. We're open all year round. We're um, So even if the school's closed, we'll still be there to provide child care okay. for the families in the community. Okay. Um, reach out to us. We have spaces available. And so this is a YMCA program. It's just being housed at the school or is this uh, right. a more integrated partnership? No, that's exactly what it is. It's okay. a partnership with Corey Rawson and the YMCA and we're housing it within their building. Okay. Mm-hmm. But still staffed by the YMCA and so on and so forth. So how would somebody uh, enroll their kids and what does what does the early enrollment look like? I'm, I'm assuming you've opened this. Oh, now. we've opened it. Yeah, we already have registrations in. So please get them in soon. We have an open house on the 15th from three to six. They can come see the location and okay. see where their child can go. It's a really beautiful new space. Mm-hmm. Um, the registration packets can be printed out on our website. So go check those out and print them off and get them to us. All the information is also on as um, Stephanie was saying earlier, our social medias. So we have a Facebook page, the YMCA Early Learning Center at Corey Rawson. And uh, folks do not necessarily have to be Y members to take advantage of this. Correct. You can be a Y member or not a Y member. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe, again, we talked about this when it was in the uh, early stages. And if memory serves, uh, this is just one of, I mean, looking at doing this elsewhere as well. I mean, right now I'll say where our focus is with our new build. Mm-hmm. And we are also partnering with Corey Rawson and we have that still before and after school program with Finley City Schools. That's yeah. where our current focus is. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that does not necessarily preclude, uh, because it's not a, it's not a unique, pr- uh, issue to the Corey Rawson area. Correct. Yeah. I mean, the right partnership comes, Courtney, Par- Corey, yeah. Corey Rawson is wonderful. So, so yeah, for sure. Maybe, maybe more <laughs> That's <right>. in, <laughs> the, uh, in the future. But yeah. again, the uh, so a couple of dates to uh, make note mm-hmm. of. Uh, open house is coming up here on, in just about a week or so. On the 15th from okay. 3 to 6 at Corey Rawson. Okay. And mm-hmm. then the center itself will open. Right after Thanksgiving, November okay. 27th. Yep. Right. Very good. Uh, by the way, uh, while we have you here and we want to mention uh, things that are going on at the Y, uh, again, obviously a lot of the headline stuff that we're talking about with yep. the new facility, with the uh, opening of the uh, partnership there to, at Corey Rawson, but programming and such, because we talk about we're getting into the cooler weather season and you don't want to let that keep you from your 
you know, be an active and healthy lifestyle and, and all of that. Always programs going on at the uh, Findlay YMCA. Always programs going on anywhere from adult aerobic classes uh, that you can join with drop-in. Uh, right now we have our youth basketball program going on. We have over 500 kids involved in that program. Uh, our swim team, so proud of our frogs. Uh, they came home with some hardware this past weekend, uh, third place out of the Lima meet. And so that that team is growing rapidly. Um, and we also have swim lessons that I know families are really eager to get into. So Yeah. Uh, and more information on all of the programs and uh, activities and classes and all of that are on the website as well, right? Absolutely. On our website. And we also just launched the new app that's really amazing. Okay. Terrific. Um, and by the way, a couple of highlights on the uh, upcoming calendar. You've got a, a Lego family fun night coming up here in just a few days. Yeah. This Friday, come join us. Uh, members, it's free for members. Okay. Um, I'm kind of anxious to get my kids involved in this one. <laughs> I like I like Legos and I really don't know how to build things. So, so. <laughs> here's, so here's the question I have with the Lego family fun night. We all love Legos, but who gets to pick up all of the pieces? Oh, Make question. sure that nobody steps on them later. Well, that's a great Great question. It's I'm not going saying. to be me. <laughs> <laughs> also, a couple of things uh, as we uh, head toward the uh, month of December that you already have posted on the uh, website, holiday related. You've got Donuts with Santa coming up and a, a Dink the Halls pickleball tournament. Oh, the pickleball tournament. It's it's lots of people already signing up for the, the pickleball tournament. And the, the Donuts with Santa, one of my, I love that event. Um, and I would say you have to get in quick. Uh, okay. That's filling up. That fills up pretty quickly. So even though that's uh, still a little ways away, uh, yeah, matter of fact, uh, a little bit about a month away for uh, yeah. those things. Uh, Want to get it signed up, up now? Yep. And the, it's our first annual um, pickleball tournament. And like I said, lots of interest around that. Yeah. Right. Exciting times. Uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for more information about uh, those programs, all of the other things that are going on at the uh, Finley YMCA. And again, uh, Stephanie Parsons, Carrie Redmond, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, that, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, Election Day will be over, which means we can turn our attention to the presidential election that is exactly one year away. Also, protecting our kids from Internet threats on Kids Online Safety Day. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.